the sweetest little girl who did nothing wrong. She listened to her mom and dad. She always brushed her teeth. She did. She was creative. She made things for us. She never got in trouble in school. Like, I just want to know what she did. We're still learning more about the mass shooting that left 19 children and two adults dead at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. From the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, to the shooting at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia, Americans are all too familiar with gun violence. After the break, we take a look at how schools and communities affected by tragedy deal with the trauma. But first, we check in with Archbishop Gustavo Garcia Sierra in Uvalde. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and many are burned out without even knowing it. Struggling with work or any of life's roles can lead to a lack of motivation and detachment. Prioritize your mental health by talking with someone. BetterHelp Online Therapy offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with a professional therapist, and it's more affordable than in-person therapy. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash 1A. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us now is Archbishop Gustavo Garcia Sierra. He's the leader of the Catholic Archdiocese of San Antonio, Texas, which is an hour and a half away from Uvalde. Archbishop Gustavo, thank you for your time today. Thank you. The Uvalde Parish is part of the archdiocese you oversee, and you're currently in the town. Tell us, tell us about the community and the people who live there. Well, this is a small community, uh, very close-knit, uh, very um, peaceful, and with a great faith. Um, I was able to see that clearly in the last two days, now the third day and how the situation evolved, you know, from the time that uh, I visited with families at the hospital, at the time that they were waiting to be told at the civic center. And and now, uh, well, yesterday, uh, all day, with the day already knew, and today, and the, um, the feelings, the sense of the community, is changing and will continue changing because at the beginning was the uncertainty and with the hope. Then it turned into a little bit of anxiety and some kind of a paralysis. They were able to show feelings through tears, but there was silence in, in their expressions. Uh, uh, I met the families and and what they were asking was prayers, 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 pray, please. And several of them gave me their name of their child to to bring to the larger community. And then we had a few celebrations together, uh, uh, hundreds of people in those celebrations. And, and people are very connected there, so they are relatives, family. Uh, I was able to also to meet with survivors, with uh, two of the children who, out of the six who uh, 
who witnessed the the killings and uh, they saw the bodies and many people of goodwill. Uh, the goodness of people uh, has come forward in a different way, uh, at least since yesterday and today. Um, I will be connected with the community and uh, during the weekend. But uh, something that I learned is um, that we need to walk on their pace. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to to step out and do something, and and we and make comments, and and uh, they don't need that. Mm. They don't need that. What they need is to for us to accompany them and to walk with them, and be patient. And sometimes, or most of the times, there were no words. You know, it was it was an embrace. It was uh, to touch them, to look at them, uh, to express a smile to express uh, communion with their sadness, um, even through sign language. You know, I found out the last couple of days how helpful it has been sign language, especially for children. Yesterday at the Mass, uh, we have children bringing each one a flower for each one of the deceased, including the teachers. And then I called them up at the very end and they were not able to say a thing. Yeah. But through sign language, they were able to to communicate. Mm. And uh, it is, um, well, it's, it's uh, very sad. Um, and, and how to keep the vision, too. I learned that, too. That we leaders in different ways, teachers, uh, civic leaders, uh, religious leaders, we need to help people with a vision because this is going to be long. Mm. It will be long time. When you think about about that vision, and I'm I'm thinking about an interview you did with Crocs, which is a, a Catholic outlet, and and you said we've made guns as idols. Um, and Pope Francis said, "quote It's time to say enough to the indiscriminate trafficking of arms." End quote. How how are you thinking about American culture and and this conversation? around guns and gun control right now? Well, I, I, I believe that that is controversial, particularly here in Texas, in which uh, really is, is, uh, is a constant statement of defending guns, uh, ownership, and the easiness to get them. And it's business connected. And so if we don't have the person at the center, we're going to continue uh, the in, on the line of power, uh, control, and and this can lead to a very uh, uh, to a ty- tyranny, a very uh, authoritarian uh, society. And besides, you know, with this, we leaders have failed fail again because uh, we have had so many experiences, and there are no drastic changes. I, I as, a, as a man of faith, I believe, and not only for people of faith, we, I believe in the in the goodness of the human people, uh, the human being, and so uh, there are many ways that we can cultivate that instead of provoking and helping violence to be so the daily the daily bread. Mm-hmm. Of, life. 
Um, uh, today, I hope uh, to meet uh, with the with the mother and may hopefully other families too of the shooter. Uh, they need care too. They are going through very difficult times, and they are the ones who ask for help. Archbishop, I hope you don't you don't mind me asking, um, but I wonder how you're doing. Well, I was uh, feeling pretty good uh, the first uh, day and a half, and then I start feeling uh, pain in my body, and I thank God for it because. That gave me another way to communicate to people in these situations, because it's hard to imagine how people who have lost a child, the people who are, are uh, family members of the shooter, and other people in the community, they must be, their pain is not just emotional, it's physical, it's intellectual, it's at a level of memory, a level of senses. Yeah, most of the families, you know, uh, 95% of the families affected, they were impoverished. And so that means it's not only the problem for them of losing a member of the family that is hard to speak about, but it is also that they don't have insurance, they don't have uh, uh, some of them jobs, some of them, um, uh, they don't know their life, how it will turn, in few weeks or months. Uh, it was addressed by politicians yesterday, and I was at the session with the governor about mental illness. Of course there is mental illness, but we should not use cover-up saying it's mental illness. We need to know that mental illness is the expression that we as a society we are in decadence. We are not leading people, helping people. We are not building up. This has been years in which the rhetoric has been against the human person. That's Archbishop Gustavo Garcia Sierra. Archbishop, I, I appreciate your time, and I hope that as you are, are caring for Uvalde, you'll also take care of yourself. Thank you. And this is we. Let's continue our conversation about how mass shootings affect local communities as well as the whole nation. Today is my last day as a senior in high school, and I know I have not gone a single day where this is in the back of my mind. Every single time a textbook is dropped, every single time we go into lockdown unannounced, it is horrifying. I fear for my peers who are younger than I am. I fear for my siblings who still have school left. It is horrifying. We do all this activism as high school students, and no one seems to want to listen to us. No one wants to listen to teachers. No one wants to listen to the families of the victims. When is this enough? Penelope in Charlottesville, Virginia, thank you for leaving us that message. We also heard from Jamie in Maryland who emails, I was a senior at Virginia Tech in 2007 when a gunman murdered 32 fellow classmates and professors. Fifteen years later, I'm a mother to a beautiful three-year-old boy. Even before yesterday's horrifying shooting, I struggled. Every public place, I look for exits. I analyze everyone around me, wondering if they have a gun. Every morning, I hug and kiss my son goodbye and tell him I love you. 
and silently pray that he will be safe. This morning, I struggled to let him go. We are failing our children. Let's turn now to Christy Darty, the CEO of Emergence Health Network. That's a local mental health authority in Texas, which serves the El Paso community. She's also a licensed clinical social worker. Christy, welcome. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Mark Volman, author of Trigger Points, Inside the Mission to Stop Mass Shootings in America. He's also the national affairs editor for Mother Jones. Mark, welcome back. Thanks, Jen. Glad to be here. As someone who's been researching these mass shooting events for years, Mark, what was your initial reacting to the shooting in Uvalde? Well, first and foremost, devastation and, and outrage. I mean, watching this happen again, the mass murder of young school children is just unbelievable and horrific. And, you know, I knew right away that we would learn probably very quickly about a history of troubling behaviors and problems with the young perpetrator, an 18-year-old suicidal gunman. And uh, it was a matter of beginning to take stock of what led to this. Um, You know, it's important that we recognize that these attacks don't come out of nowhere. They're not impulsive. These are not crazy people going insane and snapping. That's a mythology that we have around this problem that's fundamentally wrong. And there's a lot more we can do to prevent it from happening. But, you know, in this initial aftermath, it's, it's, the trauma is so deep. And I just, I, I grieve for the families in Texas. I'm a father. I say that not just as a journalist, but as the parent of two children. And I think we can do better as, as a country. We have to do better. Christy, your organization sprang into action after a shooting at an El Paso Walmart in 2019. The shooter killed 23 people and injured dozens more. Help us understand the the after effects of that shooting on the El Paso community. Uh, well, th- we, we're still in the after effects of that. I, I mean, it, it never goes away. Um, you're you're going to live that forever. Uh, I think the immediate after effect was what the, I think the Archbishop, I, I just commend his comments and, and echo his comments about walk with the community. And I've seen some things on, on TV and on, on social media lately that, that really are disturbing because we, I, as a, as a community member of El Paso, lived this with my community. And there were people that did not walk with us. Mm. They, they wanted to... to um, uh, tell us how to do it. I, I'm not real sure how to explain that, but I think that the Archbishop was so spot on. Be with that community where they are in this moment. Um, it, it's it's so recent, and and let them be. Silence, a hug, just a, a, a moment, um, because you know the next couple of weeks are going to be so painful because you're planning funerals, um, you're you're dealing with that loss that is is so horrific. Uh, you know, we we didn't have the we we didn't have the young people that were lost in this event. We we just we'd had um, wonderful people in El Paso lost, but still you're you're burying a loved one, and that's the next phase. You know, and then you have birthdays, and you have holidays, and you have things that you have to to go through, and then you have the anniversary, which we're coming up on ours uh, in August. And so I think um, you know you really have to to be ready as a community to. Uh, to to walk through this as as an experience, and we are doing that every day. Still, still here in El Paso, and so when the Archbishop said that, I just it it really it hit me right in my heart because I think that is so important that you allow that community to be, mm-hmm. and and don't come in as an outsider and tell them how they should feel, 
and how they should process this. They need to be with themselves because a year from now, the news, the news reporters aren't going to be there and all of these outsiders aren't going to be there. They all leave and they have to process this together. And I think that's the most important message I can give as some, as a, as a community member who's experienced something like this. You know, Mark, we're already seeing calls for more guns. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz called for armed officers in schools after the shooting in Uvalde. According to a 2016 study, armed guards were in 43% of schools. In fact, the Uvalde School District does have its own police department. How effective has that response historically been? Well, clearly it has not been effective in terms of preventing these horrific tragedies because we're having more of them, uh, not fewer of them. And the this heavy emphasis that we have on reactive measures to this problem, responding that way is, is wrong in my view. It's, there's no evidence to tell us that, you know, more police officers and active shooter drills and so-called target hardening with security measures in school buildings and elsewhere is doing anything to stop this from occurring. Uh, you know, in theory, it may help save lives. But look, there's some very disturbing reporting just coming out this morning about what happened in Texas and law enforcement's response being delayed, apparently, to, to even going in with a, lo- a lot of police present in, in the school system or around it. So, um, you know, in my view, we really need to focus more on prevention. And, you know, Archbishop Gustavo's comments, it's extraordinary to me thinking about it from this perspective, too, because at the core of prevention work, of community-based prevention work using threat assessment, is connection. What he talked about, connection to people who are spiraling into crisis, who are becoming detached, who are showing behavioral warning signs. And there's more that we can do to engage that and intervene before this happens setting aside even the, the, the fierce political debate over gun regulations, which is vitally important, will go on. But honestly, if we, if we look at the reality of the answer to the, the last commenter's uh, statements, the political answer is bleak. What are they going to do? We know what they're going to do. We've been watching it for years, for decades now. So we have to do more to think about how we can contend with this terrible problem. We'll be back with more in just a moment. And a reminder to have your questions answered on future topics or just to let us know what you think. Tweet us at 1A. Let's get back to our conversation now on the effect of mass shootings in the U.S. Christy, I wanted to quickly give you an opportunity to to finish your thought uh, focused on prevention and, and early intervention screening. Well, thank you for that. I think one of the things as as a mental health industry, we react and we react when it becomes a crisis. And so I think what we really need to do as as a nation, as an industry is really looking at this from an early onset. We look at screenings for cancer, for different diabetes early. uh, We do well baby checks. We need to add um, assessing what we're looking at trauma. How are we addressing child trauma. You know, what are we doing early on to where we don't get into this reactive situation? And I think we have to do better as as a nation at that for our kids to where when something traumatic happens to them, our child abuse and neglect system, kids are, are in foster care. What are we doing along those lines of addressing that trauma before it becomes a crisis? And running a large mental health system, I can tell you the bulk of the conversations I'm having with my elected officials is regarding crisis jail health, criminal justice, because that's where 
I hate to say it, that's where the noise is. And so we really have to take it, take our focus back to the prevention, early intervention, as we do with a lot of our primary care needs. Well, I want to bring another voice into the conversation. Manuel Oliver is the father of Joaquin Oliver, who was killed in the 2018 Parkland school shooting. He's also the co-founder of Change the Ref, a gun reform organization. Manuel, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here. So here we are. Um, We're reacting to another mass shooting in a school. Where is your head right now? Um, I am not surprised that this is happening. And um, anyone that is surprised with this, is it, it hasn't been following the whole story of our society. Um, I go back to almost five years ago and and I see what happens today and, and it's very little or nothing what we have learned. I have heard possible solutions, things that might work. I uh, got involved. 100% of my time is dedicated to learn more and more. And um, at this point, I think that we need to uh, address different options. Um, become more reactive to what's going on, more offended. Um, these kind of things, the same way that um, gives me a deja vu of what happened that day, it also empowers me to do more because uh, that's what Joaquin is actually asking me to do. Can you tell us a bit about Joaquin? Sure. Um, my best friend, uh, he loved music. He was an activist himself. Joaquin, um, um, being 17 years old and very vocal and great, amazing writer and an athletic kid. He loves sports. He was uh, uh, posting a lot of thoughts and quotes. And um, it makes easy for us to, to do what we do because it's just an extension of what Joaquin would have become, maybe. Um, there's, there's a lot of, of um, part of our movement that is based on Joaquin's ideas. So um, he's an ally. Joaquin is the leader of Change the Ref. Um, I love when I, I am, uh, people see me somewhere and recognize my face, and instead of asking me if I'm Manuel Oliver, they ask me if I'm Joaquin's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that I'm doing the right thing. So I, I want to thank that Patricia and myself, uh, we are part of a solution, um, and we're going to keep on doing what we do. You spent a year touring the country with your one-man show, Guac, My Son, My Hero, and Guac was Joaquin's nickname. Talk us through the story behind that show and and what the process of, of recovery has looked like for you. And not to say that there's, you know, a, a, a moment at which you can say, I'm recovered, but what does that, that road look like for you? I am not recovered. I um, I'm not expecting to recover. By the way, mm-hmm. um, I carry my pain uh, with dignity, and I use my pain to um, translate it into ideas and ways of expressing how I feel and 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 things that we should do. Uh, the the story, a, a very short 
story behind that play that you were referring to. At some moment, I was invited to speak in these events, and um, I was able, you know, how it is, they invite you, you're one of the speakers, you're going to have five to six minutes to say something, send a message. Um, so I thought, that if I have a, a play, I could have a whole audience, very quiet, uh, paying attention for more than an hour. So, so that's how I decided to go in that direction. Um, the kids loved it because it was not a sad story. It was a happy story that included the tragedy scene. Um, and we were able to engage with a lot of youth, which is basically the main mission of Change the Ref. I, my hopes of fixing this are not in a short term. I think that we need to start thinking about a long-term solution. And that is on the hands of this young generation that is also concerned about climate change, inclusion, uh, civil rights. Those same kids are concerned about their future and, and the safer way to, to handle it. So my hope is on them, and, and that will take at least 10 to 15 years. And so your organization, Change the Ref, is, is really focused on on these young people and what and what they're going to do. Yes, because as I told you before, it's a reflection of Joaquin. Joaquin will be at this point 22 years old, almost 22 years old. So um, I decided to move on as Joaquin. Uh, I'm 54 years old. I'm very immature, by the way, and I love the same music style that Joaquin loves, and I used to listen to punk music, and I'm a kind of rebel myself. So it's easier for me to to become a 17-year-old um, that is really mad at everything that is happening and, and connect with them than to pretend that I can solve this by speaking to politicians or or falling into that political game that, that is just a trick between our politicians and the gun industry and the NRA and the gun lobbyists. So I think that I can do more on the social side than on the political side. That's Manuel Oliver, the father of Joaquin Oliver, who was killed in the 2018 Parkland school shooting. He's also the co-founder of Change the Ref. Manuel, we appreciate you speaking with us today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Mark, your book details how behavioral threat assessment could be an effective method in preventing mass shootings. We've got a few minutes here, but I'd love for you to explain exactly what it is and, and the role you think it could play in this conversation. Sure. Well, and I just want to say very quickly, I really appreciate Manuel's comments to the way that he sees his work as an extension of his son's life and his role as a parent. There are a number of mass shooting survivors I've gotten to know who are involved in the prevention work of threat assessment and spreading awareness of it. And, and a big part of that is changing our perspective on this problem and understanding it better and more broadly. And so what threat assessment does is bring together a team of, of collaborative um, leaders in a community, experts in mental health, in law enforcement, in education, uh, in, in workplace settings to evaluate specific cases of concern that come to the attention of a community. When people reach out for help, that's where, how most of these cases begin. And the team will then gather information by talking to people around the person of concern, interviewing them, talking to the person themselves, 
uh, to assess the level of danger and what's going on, and importantly, to try to understand the nature of the crisis or the grievance, the, the rage, the despair, um, whatever is going on with that person circumstantially that is indicating danger. There, there are all kinds of warning signs that these teams will look at to both evaluate the level of concern for targeted violence risk for an attack of this kind, and then to uh, come up with a plan to manage the situation, to, to step in and try to intervene constructively and get a person the help that they may need to get off of a pathway to violence. Uh, Christy, just briefly here, as someone who has been in a community impacted by a mass shooting, what would you tell people about how best to support a community that's experiencing this right now? Well, again, I think it's it's about li- what listening and and being where the community is. You need to um, try to just to support folks with what they need. Everybody's needs are going to be a little different. Um, they're going to need to. Uh, some people are going to be angry. One of the things we dealt with big in El Paso, there was a lot of survivor guilt. And so we had to go through a lot of that is, you know, Walmart was very busy that day. Why did I get out? And so I think there's going to be some of those things you have to go through. Anger, the the whole cycle of of grief and loss. That's Christy Darty, the CEO of Emergence Health Network. Also with us today, Mark Fullman, author of Trigger Points, Inside the Mission to Stop Mass Shootings in America. Christy, Mark, we appreciate your time today. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin, and this program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR.